I tell you what, I love that hymn. Oh, Father, you are sovereign. I, I hope it didn't come over the microphone, my singing, uh, because I know that would be painful to listen to. Uh, I was having a hard time keeping my voice down uh, as we were singing. Um, I love that hymn. Mandy, if you're out there watching, and I, I assume you are, I want this hymn sung at my funeral. As we have uh, the opportunity to uh, hear God's word read, and now I have the uh, charge to proclaim it. If uh, you're out there uh, viewing as a visitor, our practice is to uh, go passage by passage through the Bible. We've been in the, the Gospel of Luke what now for nearly a year, um, but one Sunday a month we take off and we preach one of the Psalms, and so I preached Psalm 31 last week, and now just picking back up where uh, we had left off in Luke chapter 8 uh, before uh, this virus had taken hold and uh, d- disrupted uh, so many things. I think it's healthy to uh, try and, and keep our normal pace of things as best as possible during these abnormal times. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray that you would bless not only the reading, but also the proclamation of your word. I pray that you would help me to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, because where he is lifted up, he has promised to draw all peoples to himself. Help us to understand what it means to trust in him during these very difficult times. We pray in his name. Amen. So I was talking to a person this week that is significantly younger than myself, And this person was asking, are we ever going to recover as a nation? How will people feel like they can come out of their houses and go back to to work and live normal lives after all this? And I can understand why those questions are being asked. This person was too young to have uh, much experience thinking about the world and world events or, or too young to think, Uh, deeply about human nature, or even um, to have enough experience to think about the the American psyche. Uh, This person, too young to remember September 11th and its aftermath. Furthermore, uh, young people haven't comprehended how easily the news can overhype any kind of tragedy for ratings or other purposes. And so my response uh, to this person was that we have recovered from much worse as a nation. There were times that were much bleaker uh, as we were fighting the British during the Revolutionary War. Or take the Civil War. Uh, We overcame mountains of grievance and hatred to reunite as a country after that awful bloody war. Then there was World War I, and on the back end of World War I, we had the Spanish flu outbreak that claimed 50 million people worldwide and about 675,000 deaths occurring in America. And of course, there was World War II. 
We defeated the Germans in Europe, the Japanese in the Pacific, and then we rebuilt Europe with our loans, and we ramped up for the Cold War at the very same time. But at the time, or and then afterwards, we went through a 15-year economic boom that could not have, have been imagined from 1949 through uh, 1960. We, we experienced a great economic um, uh, boom as a nation that could not have been imagined when our young men were fighting on the black volcanic ash of Iwo Jima or in the jungles of the Philippines. And so we've been through a lot and we've recovered. We are a resilient and robust people. Life will return to normal quicker than we can imagine once this virus begins to subside. But beyond our resilience, God is the Lord. God has not gone to sleep, He's not on vacation. During this virus outbreak, he is in control and he will bring this virus under control. How do I know this? Because his purposes for the church, his purposes for the gospel are bigger than this virus. This virus somehow fits within his purposes. I would not be so arrogant as to attempt to tell you the mind of God in this matter. As Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Well, I certainly haven't. And so I would not presume to tell you exactly why God has allowed this to happen. So although we do not know um, why God has allowed it to happen or what he has planned, our passage this morning gives us um, how we should respond. You know, I thought Psalm 31 last week was especially appropriate for us to hear during this time of uncertainty. But I think Mark chapter 8 verses 40 through 56 might be even more relevant to us during this uh, virus pandemic. So let's look at the passage. So in verse 40, Jesus returned. He returned from the uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and great crowds gathered around him. And in the commotion, there was a man named Jairus. And he came up and fell at Jesus' feet, imploring him to come and heal his daughter. And Jairus wasn't, he wasn't just any man. Uh, he was the ruler of the local synagogue. He was a very prominent and respected man in the community. It's safe to say that no one had ever seen him act like this, falling at the feet of anyone. Not, uh, not to mention Jesus who was held in suspicious or suspicion by the religious leaders in Judah. Look at verse 42. His daughter, his only daughter, the little girl that he loved. She was only 12 years old and she was at the point of death. One can only imagine the desperation of Jairus as he fell at Jesus' feet. It is likely... Um, 
It was not likely love for Christ that brought him to Jesus, but simply his desperation and a glimmer of hope that Jesus could possibly save her. He had nowhere else to turn. And to his great relief, Jesus agreed to go with him, to to go with him to his home where his daughter lay ill. But as Jesus started toward the house with Jairus, Verse 42 says that the people pressed around Jesus. In an ancient town with narrow streets, great crowds would make very slow progress. When an ambulance comes to a busy intersection, you know, you'll find, I don't know how cars are able to do it, but they find a way to get out of the way and let the, the ambulance through. But this crowd was unyielding. Jesus could only make very slow progress. Jairus was surely waiting with groaning impatience and and also growing frustration. His little girl was dying. There was not a moment to lose. And then, all of a sudden, what little progress Jesus was making came to a complete stop. Verses 43 through 48 tells us what happened. I'll read it. Uh, very quickly for us. I'll uh, start halfway through verse 42, or at the end of verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was that who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's a lot that I would like to say about this encounter with this woman. But I don't want to lose focus on Jairus. Jairus. Um, As this woman is rejoicing in her healing, she does not realize that she has brought the whole crowd, that she has brought Jesus' progress toward Jairus' daughter to a complete stop. And as she is rejoicing, Jairus receives the terrible news that his daughter has died. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. In an instant, all the hope that Jairus uh, had was, was quenched. Why did God allow the crowd to impede Jesus? Why did God allow this poor woman with this discharge of blood to touch Jesus at this very moment and delay him further? when he was on his way to heal this very, very, very sick young girl. In other words, 
Why did God allow this 12-year-old girl to die before Jesus arrived to help her? These questions are not unlike the questions that we are doubtless raising in our own hearts about this coronavirus pandemic. Why would God allow it to happen? How long before it's over? When will things return to normal? How many more will die before it ends? Many of the psalmists ask these types of questions. Just listen to the first two verses of Psalm 13. Spurgeon called it the howling sermon because the the psalmists ask over and over, How long, O Lord? So the first two verses, How long, O Lord, will you forgive? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And so David in Psalm 13 is asking these questions about timing. God, why is your timing so bad for me? Why am I suffering? How long are you going to continue to prolong my suffering. God's timing is not on our timetable. His timing is a mystery to us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Very candidly, God's timing can be very confusing and dismaying to us. How are we to respond to God's timing? Should we cower in fear and worry? Should we throw a pity party? Should we rage against God? Of course not. The, the, the conclusion to the, the howling psalm, Psalm 13, gives us a clue how, should, how we should respond to God's timing when God's timing is difficult to bear. The last two verses conclude by David saying, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. We are to trust God even when his timing causes us to collapse in sorrow. He has purposes beyond our searching out. He is good in all he does. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We know that for those who love God... All things work together for good. So it should not surprise us then that Jesus calls Jairus to place his faith in him in response to the news of his daughter's death. Look at verses 49 and 50. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus telling Jairus to trust in his compassion, to trust in his power, to trust in his timing. I want to spend a few minutes considering what the Bible means by faith, because Jesus tells Jairus, only believe. Sadly, this most basic of all biblical doctrines has been diluted and distorted by modern usage. Oftentimes when we use the word faith, we end up meaning something very different than what the Bible means. 
I think sadly, many, many of us think that faith is the cause for our salvation. As long as I have faith, I'm saved. And I have an illustration prepared to show how faulty this assumption is. I have this little light here, and I think that the light is, is um, facing you. So let's say that this light here is our soul. Without God's salvation, we're dead in our sins and separated from God. There is no light. So all I have to do is turn the switch of, of faith to have salvation. The problem here is that turning the switch does not supply the energy for the light. Likewise, Jairus' faith could not bring his daughter back from the dead. If the lamp is disconnected from the, the power source, and I assume that that went off, then you can turn the switch all day long with great earnestness, with all the sincerity you can muster, and no light will come on. It would not matter if we had the greatest master electrician to wire the church, there would be no light if the Tico plant in Big Bend were not supplying the power. The point is, our salvation is in Jesus Christ. He is the power source. He is the only power source. He is God Almighty. And he clothed himself in human flesh in order that he might die on the cross as the substitute for sinners. And he rose from the dead for our salvation. Faith is only the channel or the instrument which connects us with true salvation. And true salvation is found in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Faith is the wiring, so to speak. That, uh, that is powerless without the power source. Faith reaches out. It takes hold of Jesus Christ and it receives from Him all His saving benefits. We have eternal life in Christ because He is eternal. We reach out by faith and take hold of Him and we receive His life. We receive forgiveness of sins in Christ because He died on the cross to atone for our sins. We become children of God in Christ because He's the Son of God. We are in Him, therefore we become adopted, dearly loved children of God. We are new creations in Christ because we receive His Spirit to dwell in our hearts. Your salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Because it is in Jesus Christ, it is a complete salvation. We not only receive um, from Him saving benefits, but more to the point, we receive His saving benefits because we receive Him. By faith, we enter into a living and very real relationship with Jesus Christ. We have proof of this back in verse 48 uh, when Jesus healed the woman with the discharge of blood. Look again at verse 48. He said to her, Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, a relational term. He used a relational term as he spoke to her because he was entering into a relationship with her. When we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, it's not an indifferent thing. We are embracing him and embracing a very real relationship with him. I'll say one more word about faith and then I'll move into a brief conclusion. Faith is the only thing that connects us to God. We don't see any good works performed by Jairus. Jesus did not require Jairus to go to church or perform any sacraments or religious uh, rites. He simply said, only believe. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus did not say, only believe and do a lot of good stuff. Only believe and go to church. Only believe and receive these sacraments. He said, only believe. Salvation is utterly entirely a free gift of God's grace. Jesus paid the price for it by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. Adam forfeited our life. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. The Lord Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned in his actions. He never sinned with his words, with his eyes, with his hands. He never sinned in his desires, even in the thoughts and intentions of the desires of his heart. He was only purely holy. And he lived a holy life so that he could be our perfect sacrifice. And because he was the Son of God, He was able to pay the full price for our sins. And then in His glorious resurrection, as our substitute, He rose from the dead and we received justification. We received life in Him. We weren't there when Jesus did this. All we can do is embrace Him by faith now. We do not deserve it because we're sinners. We all disobey God. All we can do is receive His salvation as we receive Him by faith alone. As He told Jairus, only believe. When we embrace Jesus Christ, we receive His full and complete salvation because He is an all-sufficient Savior. Jairus did, did trust Jesus. He continued on his uh, way to his home with Jesus. Verses 51 through 56. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not uh, dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. 
and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. His daughter was raised back to life. Jesus did not raise her back to life for his own personal acclamation. In fact, in verse 56, he said, tell no one what has happened. Of course, they're going to find out when she's out in the yard playing later in the day or the next day that she, that she has indeed been raised to life. But Jesus was not doing this for acclamation. He did not want the people to think that he's just out doing a magic show. Rather, he raised Jairus' life, or daughter, to life in order that Jairus might learn the importance of placing his trust squarely upon Jesus. As we are living through this coronavirus pandemic, that is the lesson God wants us to learn as well. No matter how long this virus lasts, no matter how long before things turn back to normal, no matter how many more will die before it ends, God wants us to place our trust in Jesus Christ. So I ask you, where is your faith? Are you placing your trust squarely and only in Jesus Christ? He is a good Savior. He is the all-sufficient Savior. He is the one that we can trust during this time as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would help us to place our trust in you. Lord, I pray for any who do not know you, that you would um, bring them to, to faith in Jesus Christ, bring them to salvation in him. Lord, I pray for all of us as our hearts are so weak and we are so given to temptation, especially during times of trial. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that his eye is fixed upon us because he loves us so. We pray in his name. Amen.